Today, some of our best segments from the global lane. Americans are paying more for just about everything. The U.S. inflation rate now stands at 8.6%. Why are we paying more, in many cases, a lot more? Well, joining us to provide some answers is the chairman and editor-in-chief of Forbes Media, Steve Forbes. He ran for president in 1996 and 2000. You may remember him as an advocate for the flat tax, but he's really about much more than that. Mr. Forbes has just finished writing a new book, along with Nathan Lewis and Elizabeth Ames, Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It. Thank you, Steve. It's so good to see you again. You write in your book... Price increases are only the symptoms, not the cause of inflation. So what's the cause, especially now as war rages in Ukraine? Initially, President Biden said the cause was coming out of the pandemic. Now he seems to blame Vladimir Putin and the war. So who or what do you feel is to blame? Well, there are two kinds of inflation, uh, what you might call non-monetary inflation and monetary inflation. The non-monetary kind is when you get a war or a drought or the lockdown such as we had during the COVID-19 crisis, uh, that uh, disrupts production, that sends up prices. The other kind, the more uh, dangerous kind over time, is when the governments undermine the value of the currency, in this case, the dollar, making it worth less by printing too many of them. Cash-strapped governments have been known to do that for thousands of years, and that's what we're experiencing today. They trash the dollar, they hurt production, and prices go up. And that's one reason why we wrote the book, is to strip away uh, the mystery about inflation, uh, make it very readable to uh, people so they understand what's going on and what we can do about it. You monitor markets and supplies, and China may be easing its COVID lockdown in Shanghai a bit. That city has the largest port in the world, and I guess the port remains open, but people have been shut in for three weeks now, and that's affected manufacturing there. How has that affected the global supply chain and inflation here in the U.S.? Do you expect prices of many consumer products to jump even uh, more so due to lack of availability? Well, what, mean, what that means is, is that uh, price uh, increases are going to be continuing to be with us. And uh, that's, again, the non-monetary kind of inflation, this kind of uh, artificial disruption, uh, shutting down a whole city, the most uh, sophisticated largest city in China. Uh, very foolish, but they did it, and that hurts. And those kinds of things, that monetary kind of inflation guy, is something that if governments just leave the economy alone, we will, people will work it out, get around it. It's the monetary kind where the Fed creates too much money. That's what we have to focus on now. And unfortunately, and this uh, maybe get ahead of ourselves, unfortunately, the Fed believes that the way it control inflation is not by stabilizing the value of the dollar, but by creating more unemployment, slowing the economy down. That's what, they're, what they mean when they say soft landing. What they really mean is more unemployment, and all, too often it leads to a crash landing for the economy. So let's look at the inflationary effect on just one specific here, housing. Let's say 15 years ago, Steve, someone bought a home for $300,000. Today, they sell it for $600,000. Now, many people would be thrilled by that profit, but you suggest in your book they may fail to realize reality here. What's the money illusion that you talk about? Well, the money illusion is that that $300,000 profit you thought you had in real terms is not there. Because of the declining value of the dollar, uh, what was worth a dollar uh, a year of uh, 15, 20 years ago may be worth what, 40 or 50 cents today. 
So you think you have a, I've doubled my money. No, you've just stayed in place. You haven't gone forward. And so you end up often with these assets, especially stocks, pay a capital gains on something that is illusory, really not there. So remember, a dollar 20 years ago, worth much more than a dollar today. And over the past 50 years, the dollar has lost 90% of its value, sometimes a lot like the 1970s or in recent times. But when you do one, two, 3% a year, it accumulates. So you end up losing and you don't understand why you can't seem to get ahead, why your wages, they seem to go up, but they, you really can't move ahead. It's very, very acidic. It, it undermines social trust and leads to social unrest because people don't know what is happening to them when the government devalues the dollar. And I know today many people are looking to cryptocurrency to help them get some quick profits and a little bit of inflationary relief. But I know you're skeptical because of crypto's instability. You say it currently functions as more of a payment system rather than an actual currency. So do you expect that to change? Explain. Well, in term, there are two kinds of a cryptocurrencies. One is, of course, a Bitcoin, which has had a huge run, even though they've had some ups and downs. And the other kind is called stablecoin. Uh, stablecoin cryptocurrencies are tied to a specific asset like gold or the dollar. So you don't get the kind of fluctuations. And so Bitcoin, you would never take a mortgage out in Bitcoin. Let's say you took a $250,000 mortgage out in Bitcoin, you may have a year later owing to two and a half million. And so that kind of instability doesn't make it work for as a, as a currency. But I see the time coming, and we discuss this in the book, is that uh, stable coins could eventually be a uh, competitor to government money like the dollar or the pound or the yen or the euro. Uh, people use these uh, stable coins rather than the untrustworthy money that comes from government. And that's a big battle coming. President Biden ascribes to the idea of modern monetary theory, which was advanced by economist Stephanie Kelton. So what is it? Why is it bad policy? Well, modern monetary theory is simply a costume for the old practice of devaluing the money. You know, in Roman times, they would uh, take a coin, silver or gold coin, and put a lot of bad uh, metals in it, cheap metals, devalue money that way. In modern times, you print up a lot of money and uh, devalue it that way. So modern monetary theory says you can devalue the dollar, you can print as many dollars as you like, spend as much as you like without consequences. As we explain in the book, there are some unusual factors in 2008 crisis where uh, the Federal Reserve did expand the money supply, but most of it was used for banks to replenish their battered balance sheets. But now they think that, gee, we can continue to print money with no consequences. Just look at Venezuela today, look at Germany in the early 1920s, and you can see the consequences of what that would lead to. You're already starting to see the consequences now. If you think prices are bad now, wait until a year, year and a half, when the, when you, when the Federal Reserve follows through on printing a lot more money then you're going to really hurt at the pump and at the marketplace. Okay, stay where you are. Up next, we'll look at ways we can fix the inflation problem for the long term and where Steve Forbes thinks you should invest your money in this uncertain time. More now on inflation, how and why it's harming American families with Forbes media chairman and editor-in-chief Steve Forbes. His new book is Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, how to fix it. 
How should people respond, Steve? What's the best investment strategy right now? Gold, commodities, real estate stocks, where should people put their money? We discussed this in the, in the book, and the thing to keep in mind is there is no simple remedy. Gold is not an investment. Gold is like an insurance policy for bad behavior by our governments and central bankers. So you should have some gold in your portfolio. In terms of real estate, you got to do your homework. Because certain parts of the country, for example, like New York or San Francisco, there's been overbuilding of commercial real estate. So you want to stay away from that. And uh, But uh, forest lands could uh, be that way. We list some uh, ETFs that you might consider. And then you also, and this is what makes it so difficult, when it looks like the government is finally going to do something about inflation, like we did in the early 1980s, suddenly those investments that did well when the dollar was losing value suddenly become very bad investments. I mentioned the collapse in the price of oil. You saw it in farmland and other commodities. And for younger people, I'd give them this advice. For their retirement funds, and you should have, no matter what your age is, a 401k, an IRA, whatever it is you can do, keep putting most of the money into the stock market. Not all of it. You should have a cash reserve. You should have some gold. But keep most of it in the stock market because America... And I know this sounds Pollyannish, but America always comes back. So if you're young, you can ride through the storm, just as people did in the 70s, just as people did uh, in other periods. Ride it through, and you're going to do just fine. And I can't let you go without asking you, flat tax? You still believe in that? <laughs> I believe it in more than ever, as we now have literally millions of uh, words in the federal corrupt federal income tax code that nobody understands. The IRS is hopeless today. They barely answer the phone if you call with a question 20% of the time, and most of the time they give you the wrong answer because it's so complicated. The only way to cure that area is just throw the whole thing out. I used to say bury the code, but the EPA probably wouldn't allow that since it's so toxic. Go to a simple flat tax. Go to doing what we did for 180 years fix the dollar to gold, and by golly, you'd see this country boom like it's never done before. It's so simple. What a concept. Okay. Forbes Media yes. CEO, <laughs> Editor-in-Chief Steve Forbes. The new book is Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It. Thank you, Steve. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Good to see you again. Good to be with you. Thank you. We're learning more about the 2018 arrest of one of the main voices for the Uyghur people here in the USA. Last January, the Department of Justice dropped its case against Saleh Hudayar, but he's only now able to talk about it. Hudayar is the prime minister of the East Turkestan government in exile. He's here to explain, along with Daily Caller investigative reporter Philip Lenzicki, who has reported on this case. Sally, let's begin with you. This involves a communist Chinese agent who weaponized the U.S. criminal justice system, accusing you of being a spy. Tell us why you were arrested and interrogated by the FBI back in September uh, 2018. And I guess it wasn't a cordial interrogation, was it? No, uh, unfortunately, it wasn't. Uh, back in June of 2018, uh, I had spearheaded the uh, East Turkestan National Waking Movement and called on, led demonstrations in front of the U.S. Capitol, calling on the U.S. Congress and the U.S. government to recognize the genocide and pass legislative uh, bills to address, uh, you know, the ongoing genocide in East Turkestan. Uh, shortly afterwards, I, you know, this woman uh, who I suspect uh, is a Chinese spy 
uh, arrived trying to initially, uh, you know, asking me how much it would cost to buy me off. Then when I said I wasn't for sale, uh, she, you know, vaguely uh, threatened my uh, family, uh, stating that China is powerful and they can harm me if I continue to doing this. Uh, then on July 11th of 2018, this individual came to our office claiming that she had a meeting with someone else. Uh, then she, you know, uh, began to, uh, you know, make uh, inappropriate gestures and comments, uh, you know, stating that, oh, I heard you don't have a girlfriend. She, you know, touched my hand and asked, you know, oh, I want to help you, all these type of things. And I told her to leave. Uh, but it wasn't until September 12th that while I was uh, peacefully demonstrating in front of the uh, White House that I was approached by Secret Service and arrested uh, for, you know, alleged uh, terrorism and was subsequently uh, interrogated by the uh, FBI after being, you know, handcuffed for hours in an underground location. Philip, uh, you did some investigative reporting on this. So what did you find out about Sally's accuser? What we've found from the court records um, was that this individual um, claimed to be uh, a volunteer at the time uh, for a, an organization um, not connected with Mr. Hudayar. Um, but a lot of other information we're still trying to dig up at this time. Well, I, I must remind our viewers, uh, Sally, that you're one of the main voices right here in the United States, an American citizen. Uh, and you've been a voice for as many as three million Uyghur people who have been rounded up, imprisoned by the Chinese, sent to forced labor, and re-education camps. Now, the BBC just published hack police files documenting thousands of cases. And, Sally, you were among the first to call this genocide. So what did the FBI say to you when you explained that that's why your accuser, a Chinese agent, was trying to silence you? Well, um, I mean, they didn't believe me. In fact, uh, this was in September 2018. Uh, nobody except for me was calling it a genocide. Uh, nobody was you know, focusing on the fact that millions of Uyghurs were in the concentration camps. So they, you know, kind of like laughed it up and, and almost in a way, you know, uh, mocked me for, for calling it as such. And I, I think now that they have learned that, you know, I was telling the truth. You know, this is just unbelievable that they could have been co-opted by a suspected Chinese agent uh, to go after you and, and look at you as a potential terrorist. Uh, and, Sally, it is shocking that uh, you were arrested uh, based on the testimony of one witness, a suspected Chinese agent of that. So what would you like to see happen now? And what do you make of these prisoner photos that the BBC has just released? Well, firstly, uh, you know, we urged, uh, we call on the uh, U.S. Uh, Senate uh, Select Committee on Intelligence to investigate this matter, to, you know, explain, you know, uh, answer these questions as, who, you know, gave this, uh, you know, authority or who, who you know, uh, urged, you know, the Secret Service to arrest me uh, on, you know, the charges of terrorism? Uh, and why did it take three and a half years for a misdemeanor case? Now, coming back to the BBC uh, report, I mean, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, this shows thousands uh, of photos of Uyghurs in the concentration camps. Uh, which the Chinese government claims that, you know, they're re-education camps and they they are voluntarily, you know, students attending these facilities. These uh, 
photos show that it's quite the contrary. In fact, you have, you know, one detainee who is, you know, um, uh, chained up and, you know, has a bag over his head being surrounded by at least seven, eight uh, armed personnel, Chinese security personnel. So this is something that the UN, while it's in East Turkestan, needs to investigate this. And uh, the international community needs to break their silence and act before it's too late. Okay, Sally Hudayar and Philip Lenzicki, our thanks to both of you today for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. UN officials say at least 5 million Ukrainians are now refugees throughout Europe. It's the swiftest exodus this century. 8 million are displaced inside Ukraine. It's the worst refugee crisis since World War II. The family of our next guest knows the ravages of a European war and forced displacement all too well. Award-winning actress, producer, singer-songwriter Judy Beecher joins us to share the story of her grandparents and mother, and they were victims of the Nazis, and they were displaced and forced into internment camps mm -hmm. in France. So tell us what happened to your family. So my, my family's from Germany. Um, and they, uh, for many, many, many generations, I mean, they go way, way, way back, very patriotic Germans. And, uh, you know, they were, um, my grandfather uh, was, he was a, a teacher and a cantor. They were in a town called Lorach, Germany. In October 1940, they, um, the Nazis made a decree that they came and they, all the Jewish families, um, the two Nazis came to every door and at the same time on every Jewish family and you were only allowed, they came to the door and they said you're only allowed to take one suitcase, a hundred Reichsmarks and that's it and you have to leave everything else and they were forced out of their homes and they were put on a train, you know, in cargo, um, cargo Transport. Transport. Yeah. They were sent to this uh, a camp called Camp Gurs in southern France, and the conditions. It was my it was my mother, who was four years old at the time, and my grandparents, my, my grandmother, my grandfather, and um, and the, all the rest of my family as well. You know, they didn't have food. There was dysentery. There were bed bugs. There were there were bugs all over their bodies. They had no hot water. They only had cold water, so they couldn't wash anything. They couldn't get the bugs off of them. They had not. An, they were trying to starve them to death. As time went on, things got worse and worse and worse. And they decided they were going to take all of the Jews from these camps and deport them to the death camps. Mm. And they smuggled my mother out of the camp. My grandparents went into hiding in the barracks, the, uh, the attic of the barracks. They hid in the schoolhouse. So they were, they were hidden for 10 nights in the schoolhouse. Um, and one of the other Swiss Red Cross workers, she would come and bring them food every night. And so they had the first transport went out and People were arrested and sent off to the death camps. Only 86 people survived from the camp, um, my grandparents being one of them. They snuck out in the middle of the night. They didn't know where my mother was going to be taken. They weren't allowed to know because just for her safety. 
she was only six years old. Yeah, so my mother um, at that time um, had been sent to a chateau uh, on the French-Swiss border, and she was hidden with orphans in this chateau, um, which, was red, which was run by the Swiss Red Cross. And um, once my grandparents made their way across all these things happened, raids and this and that, they finally were able to escape into Switzerland. And they had to find my mother, and they had to, they didn't know where she was. And um, so they were finally able to, to locate her, and they had to somehow get her into, you know, into Switzerland from France, which was occupied. So um, they, they snuck her on a, on a bicycle, on the back of a bicycle, and they brought her to the border, and she was hidden out in a, in a little way house. And then she was trained um, with this other little girl. Uh, they, for a few days, they would train her on how they were going to get her across the border. And so they played ball. And with this little ball, they, they practiced playing ball and playing catch at the border. And then at the count of three, the other little girl was going to throw the ball. And they said, one, two, three, and the little girl threw the ball. And my mother had to go run after the ball and just kept running. They said, don't catch the ball. Just keep going. Don't look back. Just keep going. And that's how she, she ran and ran and ran across the border, across the border crossing, oh. right into the legs of a uniform, man in uniform. A Swiss man? Okay. We'll have to wait and see. But <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. So you are doing a film about this. I am. I am. Trying to raise the funds I am. to put this on film. Yes. And it's so important to educate people because we really don't know. You don't know what the truth is unless it's coming from the person that it actually happened to. It's helping the world, you know, come to a place of peace and come to a place of love. And I think that's the goal that we all want to achieve. We all want there to be, you know, love <laughs> and, and, and peace in this world and in this planet. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.